Friends, here we are back again for another episode of the Plant Proof Podcast. And yes, this is Simon Hill, your host. That was a rather silly, silly way to kick off the introduction, but I'm in a silly mood and I'm really, really excited to share this episode with Erin Ireland. You're going to absolutely love it. And it's just great to be here with you. And I hope that all of you have been well, life's been treating you well, you've had a lot of delicious food and and all around good vibes. I'm sending good vibes your way, that's for sure. And for anyone that may have been having a rough trot, remember that you're not alone. Life certainly has its ups and downs. And, you know, speaking from a personal experience, I just hope that there's someone around you that you feel comfortable enough to be able to reach out to and just to to talk about your challenges and adversity sometimes that can be the the best thing that we can do when we have we have battles and let's face it we all have our own battles this is going to be a little longer introduction because i feel like it's been a while since since i've got you up to speed with what's going on at my end and also wanted to to briefly touch on some science as I've been writing, you know, my, my book, which I'm going to jump to in a minute, I've been covering so much science and I just want to share all of it. So through this introduction, just whatever comes to, to my head, um, I'm going to share and I'm going to start doing that through podcasts. And, and of course, on social media, you've probably seen, I've been posting a little bit more science, a few more videos, playing around with a few different things. So hope you've been enjoying that. And if you haven't, jump over to Instagram and follow me on at plant underscore proof. It has been one crazy start to 2019 and I wouldn't have it any other way. I have a very, very tight deadline to get my book done with with Penguin. Every time I say that word, I laugh now. I get pulled up on it. Is it Penguin or is it Penguin? I like to call it Penguin. Anyway, I signed this book deal with Penguin uh, Random House, which is one of the world's largest publishers, so it's pretty cool. And if you didn't see my post on Instagram, I'm donating. I decided to, to donate the entire proceeds that I receive from the book to charities, charities that you guys choose. So thank you very much for all the suggestions that I've had so far. I've saved every single one of them to come back to. If you didn't comment with a suggestion and you have one that you think I should look into, just shoot me a DM or comment on that post on Instagram and I will certainly add them to the list. Why did I decide that I would donate all the proceeds well, it's kind of it's kind of kind of a, a couple of factors. The 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 biggest factor, honestly, is that I think there are organisations who can spend the money better than I can, which will ultimately um, help this planet and help other people more uh, more so than 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 myself. And that was the the main factor. The second factor was that it takes any agenda out of out of this book. I'm not putting information on social media. I'm not running this podcast and I'm not selling a book to to profit, which 99% of the industry are. And I have no problem with people that are doing it as long as they're looking at the science. And 
majority of people who are selling products and services and things out there and jumping on the latest fads and trends, unfortunately, they're not breaking down the science and they're not necessarily painting a true picture to the everyday person of where the science lies, particularly in the fitness and nutrition space. So I've taken agendas out of it. Okay, so that's my book. Now you may have seen during the week or last week, I did a post about the Australian Podcast Awards. This show, the Plant Proof Show, has been nominated in the health, fitness and lifestyle category. If I've been adding value to you, you've been finding the content interesting, the guests interesting, you've you've been inspired, or I've just been making your commute to work in the car or on the train more enjoyable, you know, I would love your support. And you can do that by going to australianpodcastawards.com. Up the top of the page when it loads, you'll see vote for a podcast. If you click that and follow the prompts, I think you need to verify your email, but all up it takes about two or three minutes to lodge your vote successfully. Your support would be greatly appreciated. So once again, you can go and do that at australianpodcastawards.com. Next next up, this one's for my Australian listeners. Uh, if you're overseas, don't tune out, still interesting. I wrote an interesting piece on table manners and on the social side of being plant-based. And, and, I, and I write these articles and this is going into a magazine and whatnot, but I also talk about this on social media. So if you're overseas, don't feel left out. Anyway, I wrote this article for Nourish Magazine, which I regularly contribute to. The magazine is awesome. It's full of plant-based information, recipes, articles like what I've written, tips, products, you know, product reviews, etc. And it's available across Australia. You can check them out at nourishmagazine.com dot au for for any further information it's an awesome magazine books and magazine writing aside i've been trying to work out the best way to explain science in an easy to understand manner whilst also providing enough information to show you that what i am saying is based on facts one of the key principles i want everyone to understand about science everyone, is that you can easily manipulate a study by selecting a methodology that produces an outcome which is marketable. That is a mouthful. Let me break down first what methodology means. Methodology is essentially how we set up a study. And it, you know, it can include what subjects do we include? How old are they? What gender? What country are they from? What's their diet like? And, you know, what tests are we going to run? Are we going to run blood tests? Are we going to do food surveys? Things like that. That's all part of the methodology. And we can set that up to produce an outcome which is favorable. If we have an agenda, we can create a methodology which will allow us to provide a study conclusion which we can then get as a headline in the media. For example, let's take saturated fat as, as this first example. We know from from so many studies that if you swap saturated fat for unrefined carbohydrates or unsaturated fats, people will lower their risk of disease. But if you take saturated fat from one's diet and swap it with calories from refined carbohydrates, like processed foods, they do not do any better. So a study 
like that that can that compares saturated fat with refined carbohydrates could conclude that saturated fats are no worse than carbohydrates and shouldn't be feared. But unless you read the fine print, which 99% of people don't, and certainly the media don't before writing a headline, you are left with zero context and, and ultimately just information which is misinterpreted, information which makes the public, next time they're at the grocery store and, and they're there, they, they're thinking that it doesn't matter if they choose bacon or brown rice, same, same. In reality, all a study like that proves is that a bad diet is just as bad as a bad diet. Saturated fat is just as bad as candy. That's all that study concludes or should conclude, but it doesn't. So that's one way to trick people. Another is a common one that the egg industry uses. We all know that eggs contain a whopping amount of cholesterol. Yes, they do contain protein and they do contain various other nutrients, but they contain a whopping amount of cholesterol. And it's around 200 milligrams of cholesterol. And the guidelines, the USDA guidelines are to consume, and this is like pretty much verbatim, as little cholesterol as possible. That's in their guideline. Why? Because we know that oxidized cholesterol is what causes narrowing of our arteries, atherosclerosis which is responsible for our top cause of death. The most likely reason you or I in a Western population are to die is from this, from atherosclerosis, okay, which causes cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and stroke. So heart attack and stroke are the two most common forms of cardiovascular disease. So consuming cholesterol is bad unless a study can show that eggs do not affect your blood cholesterol. This is where the egg board comes in and the egg industry in general. They funded 30 to 40% of all egg studies. Yep. Not three to 4%, 30 to 40%. Why do you think they would fund a study? Anyway, they use two tactics. Let me explain here. They use two tactics to show that dietary cholesterol does not affect our blood cholesterol. One, they measure fasting cholesterol. This means you eat eggs and then they don't measure your cholesterol until the next day with a fasted blood test. There are multiple, multiple studies showing that the post-meal effect or the post-prandial effect, as it's called, of just one to two eggs is a huge spike in cholesterol in the blood. And let's face it, in the real world, people are having cholesterol in a meal And then again, three hours later, having it again. And then three hours later, having it again. They're not fasting. So they're getting this spike in cholesterol. A couple hours later, spike in cholesterol. A couple hours later, spike in cholesterol. This is more cholesterol in the blood, which can oxidize and lead to atherosclerosis. This science is sound. It's been around for so long. Measuring fasting cholesterol, which which these studies do as one of their tactics, merely measures the amount of cholesterol your liver produces overnight. Let me repeat that. Measuring fasting cholesterol merely measures the amount of cholesterol your liver produces overnight, not dietary cholesterol. So of course, this is a great way for the egg industry to perform studies that provide conclusions, which can be marketed to boost profits and protect, ultimately to protect an industry that they realize is under threat. The second tactic is 
using an already sick population to measure the effect that adding a few eggs has. Our bodies, essentially, they have a, a cholesterol ceiling or saturation point, whatever you want to call it. If you take a healthy person and give them one or two eggs, their cholesterol spikes. We've, we've studied this. This has been studied for decades, okay? If you take someone who already pounds bacon, cheese, burgers, eggs, and then you give them one or two eggs, of course, there is a, is a minimal effect in terms of the spike, and thus their conclusion is that eggs do not cause significant increases in cholesterol. Which study do you think the egg industry does? And what sort of outcome do you think they then put their marketing budget behind? Something to think about. Something else to think about is that in the USA, the USDA guidelines for food, the government guidelines, these prohibit any egg brand from claiming that eggs are nutritious, healthy, or anything to that effect. The government knows. They've gone through the science. They've seen how much of it's funded by the egg industry, and they know where the science lies. I'll be doing a post on this on Instagram in the coming weeks after this episode goes live, showing all of this science because I love to show my references. So if you want to see that, make sure you're following me at plant underscore proof on Instagram. For me, guys... I, I'm so optimistic and, and, and I don't like to dwell on negative things, but it's just frustrating because 99% of people do not dig deep into the science and through through nobody's fault. It's just lots of journal abstract reading and, and media headlines. And we need to remember that anyone can fund a study and we have to be prudent at looking at the methodology. And, you know, that's that's one of my many life missions and you know what 10 years ago if I was listening to this podcast I literally would be probably out loud saying propaganda I'd be saying that and I'd be like have a listen to this guy I get it sounds like it could be right I'm calling out egg industry who am I to do that who am I to question their integrity I, I want you to do me a favor, just with an open mind. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to Google egg board vegan mayo. So four words, egg board vegan mayo. And I want you to find the article by the LA Times. There's a number of the major newspapers in America and probably all around the world, actually, that have covered this. I want you to read about what the egg board did when they found out about a vegan mayo brand. It's absolutely crazy what goes on behind closed doors. And for too long, egg industry and other industry, other animal industries, and not even just animal industries, there are other industries outside of it, other, other food industries, which are also responsible. Okay. And you'll see that on my social media. And for too long, they've been manipulating science and they're doing everything they can to make sure that we keep our blinkers on and that we don't question anything. And if if we keep our blinkers on, we'll just keep consuming the way we are. If you look up Egg Board, Vegan Mayo article, upload it to, to social media and tag me or flick me a DM or email and, and let me know what you think, particularly if you're thinking propaganda. Anyway, friends, that is quite the intro. 
So without further further ado, let's let's move on into this this week's episode with Erin Island. It's it's a real goodie. Erin Erin visited Sydney recently and we caught up for a couple of dinners and, and recorded this podcast, which is so, so interesting. Especially for anyone interested in in how business was able to pivot from being non-vegan to completely vegan. She's she's so interesting and has such a cool vibe. I've kept you a while now, so let's jump into it and I'll see you on the other side. Erin Island, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really nice to have you here in Sydney. Um, I am visiting. loving it. Yeah, what have you been up to? Eating. Eating. <laughs> I have seen you posted. You've posted a lot of places that I've been to. Where Where have you been? Last night, we both went to vegan Lebanese street food. I know, but different times. Yeah, we were there at 5.30. We have a two-year-old, so okay. <laughs> we're there for the early bird special. Well, that's fair enough. I'm sure that there was probably less people in there. Well, There's nobody. Yeah. Well, that's nice. <laughs> Which is what we love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what was your your favorite food that you, you tried there at Vegan Lemonade? Have you been there once or twice? No, that was our first time. First time. Okay. Yeah. And we got the Metsy platter. So yeah. the Metsy platter for two and it was big. Yeah. And I was blown away by the kofta. And I thought oh, I saw I you had kofta. that too. Yeah. The kofta's good. And Zed, who the owner, did you I spoke him? to him. Yeah. He's a really nice guy. Really cool. Yeah, he's got a, he's got an interesting story, which one day I'm hoping hoping to have him on the show and he can share that. Involving his mom and her sickness. Yeah. Yeah. So I've I've actually only heard it secondhand. I haven't heard it firsthand yet. So okay. Um, hoping to have him on the show, and he's just doing a great job with with that shop and that business. He puts in so much hard work. He sounds amazing, and I loved what he said. We were speaking about the kofta, and he was saying that. He uses soy and plain soy tastes better than plain meat. And I mean, besides that, it's just about adding the same spices that they would add in Lebanon and cooking it the same way. And it's, I mean, it's better than mm. the it's, animal it's alternative. so true. And I think it's kind of one of those misconceptions that if you, if you do want to transition to eating a more plant-based or vegan diet, that you're going to sacrifice flavor. Yes, but it's in reality, you know, you open up your world to a whole plethora of, of new flavors. And like you said, like if you just take, a, you know, a raw piece of meat or a raw piece of chicken and don't do anything with it. Like, it's not going to taste good. Yeah. No. It's all about, it's so ironic to me that we're really flavoring meat with plants. Like we add the garlic and the spices and we're really trying to make the meat taste like plants. So if we could only just switch up the base, you know, use tofu or tempeh or seitan or whatever it may be. I mean, it's so much better on so many levels. Yeah, and and food and cooking—that's that's your expertise, which we're going to get into. But outside of vegan Lebanese, are there any other places that you your family? You're here with your family, right? Yes, I'm here with my hubby and my two-year-old. Okay, so what what else have you guys enjoyed? We had a spiritual experience at Gigi. Okay, yeah, wow. <laughs> oh my! God. Everyone has to go to Gigi's if they come. It to was unreal. And I saw the line. That line. That line is there all the time. I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. that pizza. You like. You really feel like you're in Italy. Have you been to Italy? Yeah, I've been to Italy. Yeah. You know how when you're there, you just feel like everything tastes better. Yeah, exactly. I felt like we were in Italy. And then you come and home and you're like, damn, I can't. Yeah, get like that. why don't the tomatoes taste <laughs> the same? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just loved how all the servers. I mean, I don't know if all of them were Italian, but they all felt Italian. And the customer service is just spot on, right? Spot on. So friendly. Yeah, they were lovely. Yeah. The, but in your recommendation, the yeah, funky well, radicchio. Yeah, yeah, that. 
Oh, well, my God. The, the owner or one of the owners, right, he's from Bondi where I live and I see him most mornings. He, he jogs on the beach and we bump into each other and we have a chat. I eat there a lot so he knows who I am. And he was telling me the other day, or he told, sorry, the first time I went in there, he took me through the way that they cook the pizzas. Okay. And the pizza has been based off the exact way that they they cook pizza in Naples, in, okay. in Italy. And they're actually certified. They're like one of the only restaurants in Australia that's been certified by yes. a certain body the in association. Naples. Yeah, an association that has said that they're cooking it, you know, according to that traditional way. So that's why you're getting that real Italian experience. And I have, I've got a friend from Positano, okay. an Italian, so he lives yeah. over there and he was visiting Sydney. And he's not, he's not vegan, but I said, I've got to take you to this pizza place. And he went there and he was just shocked. He's like, this is like as good, if not better than some of the pizza that he has. In totally, Italy, totally. Which um, just goes to show how good it is. So yeah. if anyone hasn't been there, get down there. You have to go. Yeah, see. even the cheeses. They were telling me that they import some from Italy. There's a brand called Mozzarella that they use and they use some from Canada and then they make some of their own. But um, yeah. yeah, they were saying that, I mean, Italian food is so naturally plant-based. I asked them the story and they went vegan for ethical reasons, but they said that, you know, they didn't have to change very much when they did make the transition. There were just a few cheeses. But other than that, it's yeah. very traditional. Yeah, because I think they might have been vegetarian, I think, before that. Okay. So they've yeah, just made that that extra connection and, and obviously seen how easy it is to replace cheese. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. They, and like you said, like their cheeses are phenomenal. So good. Yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't know. I heard that some people walk in there not knowing that it's vegan, and when they find out, they get up and they want to leave. <laughs> and the owners will say, "Look, sit down, try the food. If you don't like it, it's on us." Yeah, it's and like apparently great, no one has ever walked out. Mentality. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you'd be a brave man to walk out of a restaurant that has a, a twenty meter line every night, right? <laughs> and and well, next next door, and you know, it is it, sadly next door was a tra- a traditional just more of like an Italian pizza restaurant that was not vegan mm-hmm. and it never had anyone in there ever. And um, Gigi's has since bought that. Oh. So they're they're expanding. So next door they're going to expand just to like double their footprint and have a larger kitchen. So That's so good. Um, more pizza for the people. Yeah. And that area, Newtown, where that is, that's sort of like a bit of a vegan hub in Sydney. There's quite a few vegan restaurants around there. So Vienna? Yeah. We're yeah. going to Vienna next. We're going to Vienna next, yeah. Cool. Tonight we're going to... Um, what is it called? Mark and Vinny's? The Mark and Vinny's, yeah. The yeah, matcha yeah. milk bar people. So Mark and Vinny's, interesting. So Mark, I haven't met Mark, but one of his best mates is one of my best mates and they oh. live together. And I've heard all about Mark and Vinny's and I've heard it's it's amazing. They do like incredible pastas. It's not all vegan, but they have a great vegan it's not, selection. Oh, I thought it was I don't think, vegan. I don't think it's all vegan. It's like they have a very good vegan menu and they do a whole lot of interesting pastas and really bright, colourful pastas. So I actually haven't been there yet, so you're going to have to let me know how that goes. You come with us. Maybe. Vegan yeah. egg. You're more than welcome. We're going as soon oh, as Oh, vegan egg. Open. So they're doing the vegan egg tonight. I've seen that. On, yeah. Uh, what they do that on Matcha Milk Bar too. Yeah. Have you been there? I've been there, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's down in Melbourne. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. We came back to Sydney. Actually, we chose this as our holiday destination because we were in Melbourne, 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 (laughs) Melbourne, uh, two years ago, and we loved it so much. We just had to get back to Australia. Yeah. Okay. Well, we could talk about food probably for this whole episode and and where you've eaten. And (laughs) is is there anywhere else that that you've been? That yeah, there's a few spots. Preach Cafe. I know you had that burger at Preach Cafe. Yeah. Another. What we went because of your. Your yeah. amazing guide on your site, and that was great. What did you think about Bondi? 
it was crazy. We did the walk from Kuji to Bangai. Oh, you did that. And yeah. fortunately, it wasn't, it wasn't too busy. It's a good size was... walk. Did you, you've got a two-year-old, so were you, yeah. you, were, you were holding the two-year-old? Yeah, holding her and she slept for about 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Not prayer. long enough. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, we have that. But there were some stairs who so were holding, yeah. holding the That's stroller. That's a big walk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not too much uphill, so it was pretty chill. Yeah. Uh, and we, I mean, Darren and I are both, you know, sporty. So it was, okay. you know. So how long are you guys here for? Uh, we are here for two weeks total. Oh, beautiful! And yeah. you're in Sydney the entire time this time. Yeah, we're just chilling. We so, we really like we're vic- we're holidaying. We're not traveling. You know what I yeah, mean? There's we a have a big difference, right? Big difference. Yeah. So we are just hanging out in Surrey Hills. We have an Airbnb. Yeah. We're spending time there. We're doing a few day trips, like we're doing Manly. I think. Um, mm-hmm. That's cool. Monday. Yeah. And hey, you can do the ferry. Yeah, the ferry. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's good. I'm ex- get, there's get a restaurant out. out there. I forget the name of it. It starts with an H. It's like four letters. Here goes. Is it Hugo's? Yeah, there's Hugo's there on the water. I don't know. My yeah. girlfriend well, told me about them, it, yeah. but they have vegan options for all. They're known for their burgers. Potentially, I don't. I don't know. Okay. It's, it's it's one of those strange things that you don't. I'm, I'm from Bondi, and I'm probably stuck in the bubble. You know, like you don't travel your own city. Uh-huh. Um, I get I get around. I definitely travel through to like Surrey Hills and stuff. Where you're yeah. staying, Surrey Hills is such a central location. It's perfect. So good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're really liking it. The one other spot that I wanted to mention that I really like that I would recommend everybody go that's also on your site is Gathered Kitchen. Yeah, they that's had right. Some yeah. really good uh, almond croissants. Yeah. And just like the food in general. Yeah. That yeah. we had the uh, katsu, katsu sandwich. Yeah. Which was really delicious. Yeah. They do a lot of their own. I think they do their own baking there. Oh, do they? Well, they have like a, a, an off site bakery, but it's all, it's all stuff that they do. Yeah. Okay. And we've got to get you down to Conscious Feast as well. Yes. Sunday um, night, maybe. I yeah, hope. Sunday night. So hopefully you can come down and have a conscious feast. It looks amazing. I checked out the Instagram. Yeah, that's my girlfriend's business. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she would love for you to come down. And then the other one is actually in Surrey Hills. I think it's Surrey Hills, is Shift Eatery. We went this morning. Oh, you went breakfast. there. Okay, yeah. so you've been there. Well, they reopened after the holiday. It's been tough because everyone's been closed. Not everyone, yeah. but a lot of spots have been closed over the holiday. But they opened this morning. So we went and we had... Ruben's vegan brother Steve. Yeah, <laughs> the sandwich. Yeah, they're known for their sandwiches. That's they're, yeah, so popular. good. Yeah, yeah actually, I had that like two weeks ago. It's great. Did you? Yeah. yeah. And I took a I took a friend who's not vegan, and he had that, and he was sort of blown away. Good. Yeah. People need to try that stuff. I'm actually really passionate on sharing some of the more like comfort food stuff on my Instagram and social media in general, even though I eat like predominantly a whole food plant based diet. If you look at my feed, you probably think I'm this junkie eater, but really I'm just so passionate and intent on like getting the word out there that you don't have to compromise on a vegan yeah. diet. So much abundance. You can do it whatever way you like. Yeah. You, know, you can go the super, super healthy whole food and still make it taste delicious or you yeah. can, there's plenty of vegan junk food options and there's a whole, whole lot of stuff in the middle. Yeah. All right. So let's get, let's get into this. Let's, let's, let's just see where it goes from here. Okay. <laughs> now. Despite your last name being Ireland, you're you're clearly not from Ireland. I'm not. At, yeah, I've got a I've got a, a, an Irish girl in the office, and I don't want to make fun of Irish people, but I I, ha- I have some challenges with certain Irish accents in terms of understanding when they because they speak very fast. Same with Scottish, yeah. Irish and Scottish. Irish and Scottish, yeah, it's true. So I we kind of joke around sometimes. She's like, "Do you need me to translate that?" Uh, <laughs> I, I I had um, an experience with a Scottish guy like that too, where yeah, it felt like another language. But yeah, no, ironically, my name means Ireland, Ireland, like Aaron means Ireland. So it's a very Irish name, but um, I'm not Irish at all. Okay. So, and I, I'll just quickly say that it, 
my accent's probably the same for them. If, if anyone from <laughs> Ireland or Scotland's listening, you're probably having trouble listening to me. So maybe there'll be some sort of... You're pod- not offending anyone. <laughs> maybe there'll be some sort of podcast translating up <laughs> coming out soon. Uh, now, okay, so so where are you from? Where did, where did you grow up? Um, grew up in North Vancouver. Yeah, a suburb outside of Vancouver in British Columbia, Canada. Okay, tell me about Vancouver. I've heard it's one of it's one of the most livable. I think it's always ranked like the number one city in the world. Right, but it's also very expensive. Tell me what it's like to, you know, what what what's a typical day in Vancouver like? Um, we have the mountains, we have the ocean, we have beaches. We don't have beaches like Bondi, but um, we have some beautiful beaches. And I'd say we're really known for the hiking, but just all of that nature and proximity to the city. And I'd say that we're, we're a very clean city. Our mayor has goals to be the greenest city. Um, you know, we have like little trash bins for cigarette butts and recycling yeah. bins everywhere. So it's just really clean. It's calm. Like it's, I don't, I wouldn't say it's like a crazy busy city. Like Sydney feels a lot busier to me. Okay. So the quality of life's pretty high there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy expensive, but I mean, Sydney is too. I feel like a lot of the major cities are, especially the ones on the ocean. So you grew up there as a child. Was that sort of like in and around the city or were you in the suburbs, like a neighborhood? Yeah. North Van is like over the Lionsgate Bridge, over a big bridge um, from Vancouver. So it's much closer to the mountains. And I grew up basically at the base of Grouse Mountain. So it was like a 10 minute walk, 10 minute walk to the mountain. And I would grow up going on runs in the in the forest with my dog and just so many trails. Like really that's all there is there. And like yeah. some villages and like more little commercial areas. But um so, definitely yeah. residential. I lived a house away from my high school. So yeah. Okay. And were you the only child or I have a brother. He's yeah, two brother. years younger than me. Okay, cool. And was your sort of growing up your family like a typical family from Vancouver in terms of activities that you did and foods that you ate and yeah. you know, values and beliefs and things? I would say pretty basic, yeah, and I think too crazy to share. I mean, we definitely ate a meat-forward diet growing up. We definitely had meat every single day, but we were an active family and I definitely would have considered us animal lovers, which is did you have ironic. Pets? Yeah, always had a dog. We had a Springer Spaniel named Spanky and then another dog named Tinkerbell and... uh yeah. So in retrospect, it's really ironic. And my mom especially is a huge animal lover. My dad's a physiotherapist and he always said that if he didn't go into that line of work, he would have become a butcher. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, he's always... Well, that would have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying With hard. I'm working hard on him, yeah. trying to go vegan. And he's cut dairy out, fortunately. I've been okay. able to communicate just like the dangers of dairy and the connection to cancers in particular. Um, so he's really understood that. I made... I. Uh, Made him watch Dairy is Scary. Okay. Five minute YouTube video that everyone needs to watch. And what did what did he out. say after he watched that? He had a hard time watching it. Um, I think he was pretty shocked. So now I supply him with bulk uh, cases of soy milk. I have a bakery at home, so I have these wholesale accounts. So I okay. I supply him the soy milk, and I'm very like at, at the start was was he sort of like not enjoying the taste of soy? What was his experience like when he was, because, you know, I, I sort of understand like a lot of, a lot of it is around the pleasure or what you're used to. What you're used to. What you're used to. And like, was he, was he sort of a little bit resistant? Cause he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't like this taste of soy. Yeah. And his, his, his day really re- revolves around that morning latte. He makes it for his mom who lives downstairs and his wife and they all have their lattes. And so we definitely tried a few options, but then we found one that he liked. So I think it's the Pacific barista series, soy, soy, uh, soy milk. Okay. So that's, that's the one he likes. So we had to, you have to shop around. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people think almond milk is almond milk and they're all the same. 
but I'm an almond milk connoisseur and they are all different. So whenever I go to a cafe and I ask for the non-dairy milk options, like I'm going to, I'm going to get a latte or not yeah. based on the kind of milk they have. Like I, so I, I do the same. I mean, if I'm not having espresso, if I like, if they don't have the almond milk that I like, I go espresso. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's going to ruin your latte yeah. because it's mainly the milk. Right. And yeah. it's like, yeah. What, what's Sydney been like coffee wise? Okay, so tell me about it. My taste buds are a bit funny right now. So um, I have not been drinking very much coffee. I don't know what it is. I go through these periods, but I've also actually been off caffeine for about a year now. Okay. I read this book called Rushing Woman Syndrome by an Australian doctor, actually, Libby Weaver, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was just blown away by just like the physiological reaction that your body has to coffee. And I was so inspired to go off it just to try to reduce like a little bit of anxiety in my life and problems falling asleep, my mind racing. And it really helped. It helped. It really and helped. What was it like? I guess, was there, a, was there a tough transition period? No, fortunately, I don't think I was addicted. I think that I really just enjoyed the ritual of it. The social and aspect. And- totally. Yeah. And and um, I just enjoy a warm beverage. And I really am more of an almond milk connoisseur than I am the espresso connoisseur. Okay. So I was kind of, I, my, my drink of choice these days is kind of a kid's drink. It's like a one, a one shot, like, or like a half shot decaf almond milk latte in a large okay. glass. Yeah. So, so you still get, you're still getting that ritual, that experience. Yeah. You're just taking the caffeine out of it. Exactly. But the best latte I ever had was in Australia. Really? Where? It was in Melbourne. Okay. Well, Melbourne is, you know, I hate to say this because Sydney listeners won't like it, but I grew up in Melbourne and Melbourne is known as like the coffee, the coffee hub. You can't find bad coffee there. Yeah, where did, do you remember where it was? Of course. Where? Because I want to go back. Like, I'm actually <laughs> tempted. We have friends there and they have this housewarming party tomorrow and we're tempted to fly just for this party and just to go for a coffee and some food at Monk Bodhidharma. Monk Bodhidharma. Yes. Wow, I haven't been there and I've oh. lived in Melbourne. There you go. That again shows. You have to go like next shows time. how much I get. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a guy that gets stuck into a routine, you know, yeah. I need to venture out a bit more in, in my local cities. But so where, do you remember where in Melbourne that is? No, I'm pretty bad with the maps, okay. but um, it's connected to, I think it's Sir General Alfred's something coffee bar. So they're okay. like brother or sister cafes. Maybe around Carlton. Don't quote me on that. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes and, and we're going to send all of the vegans there. It is. So it, <laughs> it actually took like 15 minutes for them to make it because it seemed like a ritual. Like it was, they were just like taking their time. It was, it was like an art. Is it like and a restaurant or it's just a dedicated like coffee shop? It's a, it's a cafe. It's like a coffee shop with food. Okay. Yeah. But the food, it's like, you would never expect to get this kind of food from a coffee shop. So that's maybe my expectations for low. And then we got this beautiful, rich, like hearty, beautiful plant-based food for breakfast. We were there for breakfast. And so I was just blown away. But the latte, it was like I got a second one because it was so good. And they made their almond milk in-house and the ratio of nuts to water was um, really high. So That's the key, right? Like if you're going creamy. to the grocery store, you can, you can find some that are like one or 2% and it's like water. Yes. Oh, it's water. That, that's why I think most people don't like almond milk lattes and they turn their nose up at it because it's really watery. Mm-hmm. Like the mass produced stuff. I've heard that well, in Canada, we have these two liter jugs and I heard that they use 17 almonds per two liters of water. And then they use a thickener. So you can really tell that it's fake thick and it's just not satisfying. Mm-hmm. To try and mask the fact that it's mainly water. Yeah. Yeah. I also like a like a homemade macadamia. They do that in a few places down in Bondi, and that's yes. super creamy. So good. <laughs> I found it at a couple of spots. Right, um, where, where, where Paramount has almond macadamia, and then somewhere else had straight up macadamia. But I kind of feel like 
more often than not here, the cool cafes, yeah. they have a good, uh, like, house-made nut There's milk. a place in Bondi, one called Harry's that ha- does it. Yes. And another one actually called Coffee. Okay. Right? So, but I'm sure you can go in there and just get it. I mean, they'll have decaf. Actually, okay. they they will certainly have decaf and they they do their own house-made Maybe before you go to Conscious Feast or something, you could check yeah. it out. It's just around the corner. Okay, we've we've digressed and gone back to food, and I think I this could be a, this could be a theme. <laughs> this could be a running theme for this talk for, for five this hours of food. So we'll 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 work through your story and we'll just jump in and out of food. <laughs> My story is boring. It's, no. it's more exciting. <laughs> okay, so you were you were sort of speaking about growing up. You yeah. had that sort of traditional diet for your area. Yeah. Tell me, is the traditional Canadian, I guess, diet similar to the standard American diet? Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, I think we were a little healthier than the standard American diet. Like I had oatmeal for breakfast every day okay. with brown sugar and like a full fat milk. So, I mean, like got a little bit of healthy Sort of halfway there. there. <laughs> yeah. And my mom was always like pretty conscious. Like I was that kid who got the apples cut up with cinnamon sprinkled on them instead of the, like the cheese strings or the the gushers, like the fruit snacks. So I was always trying to trade other kids. Tuna fish salad sandwiches were pretty popular. My dad grew up making us, my parents split when I was nine and my dad's specialty was uh, mustard sandwiches. <laughs> okay. Mustard and so cheese. So he kept it pretty simple. Kept, yeah. <laughs> despite the fact that I would say that he was like the original cook in my family and he's such an amazing chef, but yeah, I don't know. He just loved his mustard sandwiches <laughs> and we did too. <laughs> okay. So, so at, at school, where did you go to school? Was it was it around the area that you grew up? And what was, yeah. what was school life like for you in terms of your interest from a, I guess, topic point of view, but also sport and things like that? Yeah, my elementary school, we walked to elementary school. It was probably a 15-minute walk away. And my high school was one house away from my, my home. So I'd roll out of bed like five minutes before class started and get there, usually late. Of course, the kid who lives closest to school is late. Sports is my entire focus up until the end of university. So my dad was a big sports guy. He was like the six foot four basketball center of the big uh, university in They're British awesome. Columbia. So we were grow- we were raised. Would he always tell you about that? Of course. That is. Oh, yes. His big games and his, oh, his yeah. highlights. Oh, yeah. My mom's water broke and she like still went to my dad's basketball game. <laughs> there was time. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I grew up with a lot of sports stories, but I grew up playing all the sports, basketball, volleyball, tennis, cross country. What else is there? Volleyball and basketball were my main sports. And so in high school, got even more focused on those. In terms of school, I was pretty interested in English, uh, not so much into sciences and that sort of thing. Okay. And after high school, where did, where did sort of things take you? You stay in Vancouver or? No, I got a scholarship. I went to school in South Carolina. So in grade 11, I kind of got serious about um, like seeking out a scholarship. I got a a video of myself playing volleyball made and I sent it off to some schools in the States and I worked out a deal. I got a a scholarship to Winthrop University in South Carolina. It's a smaller age 18 or something. Yep. I guess 17. 17 or so. so. You were young. What was that What was that move like? Were you scared? Were you sort of fearful of leaving no, home? I was so, excited. Yeah. I kind of like, I feel like deep in my gut, I, I always knew that I was never going to go to school locally. I was never really drawn to any of the local universities. Yeah, I was just excited to move away and I was never really that homesick. There were there were periods, but, but it was a great experience. I loved the South. I loved the weather. I really liked the girls. I went down there on a recruiting trip and there was another Canadian there and she made me feel really at home and 
the girls love to eat like I did. <laughs> I definitely grew up like being focused on food. And so, yeah, I just felt at home. And it was it was a plane ride away, you know, so I always felt comfortable knowing I could just hop on a plane and go home if I wanted to. And how'd you go from a, from a sporting point of view? So, I mean, I was a good volleyball player, but I wasn't like national team caliber. I was like a second team provincial all-star volleyball player. And so I went down there and it was really tough. It was really tough for me as a freshman. I I sucked. I just like, I mean, I was the shortest girl on my team. I'm 5'8", but there were girls who were 6'3". Uh, so it was a bit of a, a, yeah. an eye-opening kind of reality check for me. So I sat on the bench my whole freshman year and that was really tough. And so I remember going into my sophomore year thinking, you know what, if I'm going to ride the bench again, I, I'm not here for this. Like I came to play volleyball. So if I, if I'm going to sit the bench again, I'm going to just cut this off and go home. You know, I really don't want to do that. And, uh, and But you were, you were studying at the same time, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I went there for volleyball and it was just, it was really great that they had a good broadcasting program, which is what I was interested in. Wanted to do sports casting. Um, so I think that desire of not wanting to go home kind of like made me try harder and work harder. And I, I mean, I always worked out really hard, but I was focused more on like the sport and really kind of improving. So I ended up starting that year in the back row. So I kind of like stopped practicing in the front row. I stopped practicing as a hitter and uh, just to try to improve my defensive skills. And so from sophomore to senior year, I was a defensive specialist. I was a defender, a digger, a, a passer. So that's uh, that's what I did. And, and it, it was, I was glad to stay down there. Okay. And so you, and you, you finished your studies? Yeah. Like the broadcasting? I did. What did you go on to do after university? Did you stay down in South Carolina? Did you head back to Vancouver? No, I was really excited to head back to Vancouver. I always knew I, I'd head back there. I got back to Vancouver and I got an internship at CTV News Station, one of the okay. biggest news stations in Vancouver. And then I got hired after the internship was over and I started working as a teleprompter, working on the research desk. And then I eventually started producing the morning weather and the traffic. And I started doing some on-air rehearsals to do to like fill in for weather and the traffic. But then I realized that I really didn't care about weather and traffic and I could not fake enthusiasm for those subjects. So I went on a trip. And I kind of never came back. Well, I guess I, I, I canceled my plane ticket and I extended the trip by a bit. So it was okay. supposed to be a 10 week trip. But while I was there, um, I wound up on this Italian horse farm doing woofing. So that you went on this trip by yourself? Yep. So is woofing is like working on the farms? Yeah. Yeah. Like you dedicate half your day for room and board basically. So you can search all the hosts and see like what kind of work is suitable for you. And at this particular farm, the jobs were feeding the five golden retrievers, tending to the vegetable garden, feeding the horses on the John Deere. It was a 40 acre property with like fig, fig trees. That sounds like fun. It was amazing. I fell in love with the family. We just totally clicked. So I stayed there for way longer than I should have. I stayed there until it got cold and I had no more summer clothes and I, I realized it was time to go. Okay. So We'll come back to that, but just quickly, through the university down in South Carolina, when you came back and working in broadcasting, your diet had sort of just stayed the same? Yes. Yeah. No, I had had no realizations, no eye-opening moments at that point. No. Okay. And when you had finished up in, in Italy, what, what did you want to, what did you want to do? Like, what were you inspired by that experience? Were you inspired to do something different? Did you go back to broadcasting? What was next? So I was pretty lost at that point. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to stay in Europe. So after Italy, I moved to London where I kind of couch surfed um, with a friend for two months. Then I eventually, my granny got sick and that was a, 
all the reason I needed to go home. So I went home. I surprised my family. They didn't know I was coming home. And um, while I was there, I got this really great opportunity hosting uh, this super local entertainment news magazine show. And it was just like a really great in to the media industry. I met everybody and um, hosted this show for a couple months, got to do a lot of interviews. And it was really eye-opening for me because I realized I also didn't really have a passion for fashion, which is what the show was largely focused on. But there were a few segments that were focused on food where I got to interview like local celebrity chefs. And those were the interviews for me that just flowed, you know, like I didn't have a cheat sheet. I was just like speaking from the heart and loved it so much. So that helped me realize that I needed to fully dive into food. So I just quit everything else. I started what my year food was blog. This roughly? Oh my gosh, this is probably 2008 or 2009. Okay. And had you had an interest, we haven't spoken about it, but had you had you had much of an interest before that in food? Well. <laughs> in like the creation of food and cooking and things like that? I'd always been interested in food. I mean, I was on my volleyball team. I was known as the team garbage gut. Like I just love to eat. Like it definitely wasn't refined. I was just always hungry. In retrospect, I feel like it had a lot to do with the fact that I wasn't eating a lot of plants. Like I ate a lot of animals. I always felt like the optimal diet was high animal lean protein. So, I mean, I would sit there and I would eat a full rotisserie chicken for dinner. Was that something that like the volleyball coaches or team were sort of promoting or just through your own research or from marketing like what it was probably marketing it was probably all the bs marketing that i just bought and um, and probably just growing up too with my meat forward family but i definitely didn't have an education on on diet and nutrition the only rules the team had was no fried food and no soda so other than that they never focused on animal products what was next so after that that role i guess on that um the the show and interviewing chefs and whatnot about food. Where did things go? You said you quit that. What was next? Yes. So I dove all into everything food. I started my website. It's todayfor.ca, which was just a food blog at the time. Um, it's since grown into a bit more of like a Vancouver dining guide with categories and better tips. Um, I started writing a weekly um, like food review column for Metro newspaper and a monthly magazine column. I started appearing on local talk shows, just talking about, you know, themed food, food stuff restaurant reviews, that sort of thing. Um, And things really went from there. And then at one point, I feel like the next big thing uh, in my career was starting the bakery business. So that's part of um, To Die For. It's To Die For. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, there's the blog and there's all the social media stuff. And then there's the bakery. Okay. So what, what inspired you to start the bakery? What did that, you know, what did that look like at the start? What were the challenges, I guess, in setting that up? There was no plan. I mean, I didn't even name it. It kind of named itself um, because my blog was called It's to Die For. It was named as such because my goal as an eater was always to find the to die for food, like the extra delicious food. That's how I would just describe it. So as a as a broadcaster making hardly any money, I mean, you definitely don't get paid at the beginning of your career in broadcasting for the, mo- for the most part. I would gift friends and colleagues my banana bread, which is kind of like the one recipe that I had memorized and Um, It was kind of a recipe that I'd grown up with, but put my own tweaks on it. It got such great feedback that I kind of started thinking, wow, like maybe I'm onto something. And thanks to Twitter, actually, Twitter was kind of like the social media uh, platform back then. Um, Yeah, it just kind of blew up. And I did a test bake sale. I put this order form on my website and I said, okay, order your banana bread and you you can come pick it up between 
10 and 2 on Saturday. Loaves are $20 each. <laughs> they were pretty big. And I like I had to shut down the, the order form because I got so many orders and I baked throughout the night. And I was wow. like, hey, are people going to put their money where their mouth is? And everybody came to pick up and there was just rave reviews. So it was just good kind of test for me to make me feel comfortable in moving forward to the business. So I started off with one cafe and I was making one loaf at a time in my in my 500 square foot apartment. And I always thought that small batch meant one loaf at a time. Like I never even made four at a time, which is what my oven could fit. And I also wanted to make it by hand. So I never used a mixer, like a KitchenAid or anything like that. Everything was made with my two hands. And I've since learned that you can still call it made by hand if you use a mixer. But uh, it was an intense year where our apartment was kind of like a small commercial kitchen. And it just grew and grew and to the point where um, I got a co-packer. So that means just like a bakery who kind of makes it for you under their roof with their employees that I trained. Can you, can you remember in those that that first year or so where you were working long hours, sort of testing and learning, what were you stressed? Were you making money? Were you putting all your money into this? Were you were you sort of did you have any fears that you know is this going to work? Is it not going to work? The good thing is there were no investments that really needed to be made. I was lucky to connect with a newer designer who did my branding for $400. So I didn't need equipment at the time either because of the low volume. And then the co-packer model also alleviates the need for any type of investment. So one of my best business tips that I'll give to young entrepreneurs is to not really make big big moves right at the beginning, like stay agile and just wait till you're certain before you dive in. Like don't Mm. Don't, don't like don't sign over, a lease, overinvest or overcapitalize yeah. on things. Like, yeah, you were, you were testing and learning with minimal risk. Exactly. So to this day, I mean, I haven't even bought my own ovens and I think it's overdue. Like, I think we really need to right now. We're in a shared space where we've been five, five years and it's great, but um, yeah, we're like overflowing. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, how many, like five, six bakers in there at a time. And we're in this plot, like within the shared kitchen and we share the ovens and I want to get my own ovens, like really good baker's ovens. And so we are, we have our eye in a spot right now and we're hopefully okay. be moving. Do you envisage that that will slightly reduce your costs when you have your own equipment in your own space that you don't have to lease? For the long term, for sure. Long-term, yeah. That's why, I mean, at the start, some, you know, if you're starting a business, it might look attractive to go out and buy all this stuff. But in reality, better off having a slightly higher cost price. Or the short term, and yeah. just reduce that risk. Well, especially if you're not sure if it's going to be successful. Yeah, like, prove right, it. Right, yeah, right now, I mean, it's been seven years for us. We have 110 customers. We have a huge... These um, are like um, wholesale customers who you supply, like restaurants or cafes. and Exactly, yeah. yeah. We deliver wow. five days a week. We have a delivery van. And so we deliver to mainly cafes and like a few kind of market grocery store type yeah. places. But we have a really big customer starting with us soon. So they wow. have 50 locations. Congratulations. Thank you. So at, at the start, you were selling direct to the end customer from, from Twitter? Um, or was it to also to stores? For fun, awesome. it was just to customers. But then I started off supplying one cafe, okay. which is two blocks from my house. I would walk it over in a little bag and yeah. uh, that was just for a couple months. And then I got another one. And then there were really just four cafes I was selling to for a whole year. Yeah, I guess yeah. it makes a nice way to scale it when you can sell to 110 customers who are then reaching a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, our, our big goal is really just to prove that there's no compromise when it comes to vegan baking. But when, when the company started, it wasn't vegan because I yeah. wasn't vegan yet. Okay. We're going to go through that. Yeah. 
and this question may even touch on that when you explain it. But the the, the products that you're you're offering now, um, how 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 has the business evolved over the seven years from what you were offering then to now? And if sort of linking that up, I guess with your own personal journey makes sense. Then yeah, let's just cover it all at once. Yeah. So it started off with the banana bread. It's all about the banana bread for a couple of years. And then I launched a lemon loaf, a coconut lemon loaf. God, that sounds good. And then I wish I had some for you. <laughs> I'll have to ship some to you. Yeah. Or I'm gonna I'm gonna get over to Vancouver. Everyone's everyone that I ever speak to always speaks of it so highly. That'd be awesome. Um I haven't been there yet. So it's great. You would love it. So I was going vegan. I was learning about, you know, the horrors of animal farming. So I kind of stopped caring about the bakery. It was kind of running itself. I wasn't even there every day. I wasn't promoting it because I started, there was this disconnect. I started realizing that like, what have I done? I've started this company and I'm using these animal products. But what animal Um, products? Because I'm assuming you weren't putting meat into the banana bread, but. Well, actually we had a bacon banana bread. We had a bacon banana bread. I'm so horrified that I even did that. And in retrospect, like I never even thought of the animal. I never even thought of it as pig. I thought of it as bacon. Yeah, because it was so far from where it came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, the so you so you had you did have meat. You had egg. I'm assuming eggs and and um, dairy with so some of them. In the banana bread, we use olive oil. I've always used olive oil instead okay. of any butter. So the only animal product in the banana bread was the eggs, and I thought I was making a great choice because we were using organic. Or no, sorry, we we're using cage free eggs. And the bacon banana bread was just a small feature, so it wasn't like the regular recipe. And then there was some chocolate on the banana bread as well, which had dairy in it. Um, the lemon loaf had eggs and butter and everything. Yeah. Okay, so so what what was it that sparked your change, I guess, your initial change in your own diet? So the very first seed that was planted for me was watching Forks Over Knives, which I think was like a spark for so many people. It's such a great documentary. And then from there, it really was kind of connected to my food blogging. And um, I started really gaining traction in that area. I started getting more followers. People were taking my recommendations. And I started realizing that I was having an impact. And I started to think about what I was promoting. You know, like I, I, I was promoting these animal products and, you know, anything that I was sharing. And so I decided to learn a little bit more about it. And so I dove in, started watching the documentaries and I was horrified. Were, 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 were there any customers sort of emailing you going, look, Aaron, I love your food, but can you do a vegan version? No, 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 absolutely none. It's actually so strange that I don't think I ever met a vegan person growing up. I can't even think of a single vegan person that I knew. I can, my parents had some friends who were vegetarian. I didn't even know vegetarians. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I'm pretty similar. Like, I, I can't remember ever growing up and meeting someone or having a conversation about, you know, not eating animal products. No. It just didn't happen. It was never presented. I, I remember having just really tiny conversations with my parents, asking them, like, what, what vegan means. And I remember them, I mean, they'd never been exposed to it either. So they just said, you know, it's some really extreme diet that it's basically yeah. impossible. Yeah, that word extreme. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's... It's so funny because it's really the opposite is true. Yeah. A meat for a diet is so extreme when you think about what but, actually goes but, into it. But to be fair to like your parents, my parents and anyone of that era, there's so many scare tactic and incorrect headlines in the media that if you don't look into it and you just at a top level have, you know, glanced at an article, 
then yeah, you probably would think it's extreme of because course. that's the narrative. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's not correct. Yeah, but that's the narrative that sells papers. Yeah, I I don't blame them at all. I mean, the amount of money that meat and dairy industries put into advertising and marketing campaigns is just mind blowing. So, I mean, they were fed this information from their parents and you're right, like scare test tactics, you know, you don't want your kid to not get enough calcium or protein. So, well, yeah, why would you dig deeper? It's just, it's the way it's always been. Mm. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're confused, there's so much confusion out there. If you're confused, yeah. you just stick with what you know. Exactly. You just keep going. Yeah. Like you're yeah. not going to make a change. Yeah, exactly. So eventually I think the really, like the last straw for me was watching the film Earthlings which everyone needs to see. Earthlings or Dominion, they're both too- So powerful. So powerful. Yeah, I watched that movie by myself. Darren and I had met at that time and um, he he went out to play hockey and didn't want to watch it because of, I mean, it's uh, has a reputation for being hard-hitting. What was his plate like, similar to yours? Mm, he wasn't interested in it at the beginning. He's half Japanese and he always said that he could never go vegan because sushi. But he's also a really intelligent guy and- Eventually, he started watching the documentaries with me and realizing like how serious this is and how yeah. powerful. So, what what year are we are we now around like twenty fourteen or so? This is um twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always remember like the beginning of my transition started in twenty twelve actually, but in twenty thirteen I posted um, a blog on my site called Ten Reasons to Consider Becoming a Flexitarian. Okay. And in that introduction, I stated that I had eaten meat ten to ten to fifteen times in the past year, and then I go on to list all these reasons to like reduce meat or at least to focus on where your meat came from because at that point I was still under the impression that you could find mm-hmm. humane meat. So like in the list, I had animals or friends, not food, like all these totally vegan statements, but I was still calling myself a flexitarian, but the transition happened pretty quickly after that. But yeah, I was just so surprised at the traction that that article got. I was asked to go on local TV shows to talk about it. And like so many people retweeted it and it was just like, so everybody loved this idea of flexitarianism. I think there's, you know, people are very, very cute. Once, once people realize that, they can get all the nutrition they need from plants or yeah. from from very little animal. Like for, you can you can certainly get it from all plants, but it's when people realize, oh, I could do a flexitarian, right? Yeah, they naturally are so curious because we all sort of have that inner compassion. So, like yes. when you start to think, okay, wait, I'm actually eating animals and contributing to killing animals, but I don't need to. Yeah, and and I think that is what sparks a lot of people because. Like we were talking about before, I grew up thinking that I had to eat it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And when you realize that you're, it's so unnecessary that you're paying for somebody else to murder these babies, you know, who are innocent, who, you know, feel pain and joy and, you know, yeah. they're just like us, but different. Yeah. I had um, Benny Castro, his name is, he's a very, very well-known singer from Czech Republic on the podcast. And he had a very interesting story around his transition. He had a friend who was about 20 kilos lighter than him uh-huh. who was doing some martial arts and 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 Benny was training in the gym, big guy, 90-something kilos, and his, his much lighter friend said, I bet you I can put you on the ground and you can't get up. And he did. And then they reversed it as well. And he put the 73-kilo guy, put the 94-kilo guy on the ground. Wow. And he couldn't get up, right? And B 
Benny was like, wow, how have you done that? Like you're, he was vegan. He yes. said, how have you done that? Yes. And he's like, well, you know, I, I eat well. There's some skill involved, but I, I, I'm strong. And he's like, wow, I, I didn't connect strength at all with a vegan diet. And he said, look, come out to my farm is what the 73 kilo guy said. He said, come out to my farm. I've got farm animals, you know, that we look after. Come out and we'll have lunch and I'll, I'll, I can show you the types of food I eat. And he said, he got out there and he said, look, my, my, my wife can cook you whatever you want and we have animals here. We have chickens. You like chicken, right? Big guy. He said, come out and I'll show you how, if you if you want to kill the animal, I'll, I'll show you how to kill it. You can kill it. She'll take the feathers off and cook it up for you. And he went through the whole technique with him and everything. And this 94 kilo guy was like, he was faced with this. Couldn't like, do it. If I, if I don't do this right now, what's what have I been living? What yeah. have I been doing? Yeah. And he picked it up and he's like, I picked it up and he's, I, I, I felt its heart beating and it was fluttering and its feet kicking. And I was like, and it, it, it was it was doing, you know, everything it could to get out of this. Grip, fighting for his life. Fighting for its life. And he's like, just dropped it. Mm-hmm. And from that moment. He, he was vegan. That's amazing. I think that I think that 99% of people would have the exact same reaction. Mm. People don't realize what they're paying for. I think it's so important, as hard as it is, I think it's so important to watch the videos of what's happening inside those, you know, enclosed, the slaughterhouses and the farms. Mm. It's very much out of sight, out of mind. It's so out of sight, out of mind. And even these egg-egg laws, which are surfacing, you know, which prevent anybody from filming inside. I mean, it's just crazy that... Why do we have to hide? How Why food we- is made. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just if you break it down simple, like... Why do we have to hide how something ends up on our plate? Yeah. You know, that starts to get you to think, well, there must be something wrong with it. Yeah. Now, I want to I delve into, I guess, your personal transition and changes on your plate and how, how your health, the journey of your health and, and how you felt. But before we do that, I find it interesting. So you're, you, your company had some animal products in it. You'd, you'd yes. made this change for ethical reasons yes. and you're sort of in this sticky point where you're like, okay, I stand for this, but my business is standing for that. What what happened? Like how did you change your business? What were the challenges? So there is this weird phase where I believed that I could like offer both, where I could offer a vegan line and still have the old stuff that I would encourage everybody to go vegan. But for those certain customers who just wouldn't do it, I would still offer the original product with really high welfare, quote unquote, high welfare. And, animal and did you do that? No. Oh, you didn't. Do it. Fortunately, it was just this idea. And then I remember somebody telling me that there's no humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to die. And that was like a huge light bulb going off for me. Some because, of the listeners will probably be thinking, but, but eggs, but eggs aren't killing the animal. But what, they are. Yeah. Tell, tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, that was also news to me. I mean, I was always sharing that we were using these awesome cage-free eggs. I thought they were fine. And then I realized that male, like millions of male chicks are killed every day. They're ground up or suffocated when they are one day old and they're a byproduct of the egg industry. So right off the surface, it doesn't seem like there's violence. It doesn't seem like it's cruel, but um, these babies are being ground up. So to get, essentially, to get the workforce of the female chickens to lay the eggs in that process there's a whole lot of male chickens who are born which can't be used exactly so they're sorting them by gender and all the males they get put on this belt and they are just 
put into which the is shown very graphically in Dominion, right? Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's so much footage out there. I mean, if you want to learn what's happening, you can just Google it, go on YouTube, and you'll find it. It's out there, and I mean, of course, the egg laying hens, like they're bred to um, to produce a very unnaturally high amount of eggs. So their bodies are depleted of calcium, and they're sick. They don't have feathers. They're living in their own feces. They're in these crowded areas. I mean, it's just it's it's not any way to live. They don't get to see sunlight. They don't get to mm. move around freely. It's um, it's confinement. It's torture. And um, and they've done studies, right? And this is just to highlight how important we don't think about the quality of life of of farmed animals like that, factory farmed animals. But they've actually done studies where they looked at disease. And there was an interesting one which Dean Ornish recently spoke about. But he was speaking about from um, a like health point of view. But what he was not an ethical. But what happened was they had. They had some animals that they were running, doing doing experiments on. The the ones in the bottom level, right? The the lady who was running the experiment, she loved animals. She would take them out and play with them, right? And they'd come out and they'd go outside. They'd get the sunlight that you're talking about. And the experiment, the the ones on the top, she couldn't reach, right? So mm-hmm. they didn't get that. They didn't get any of that interaction outside, playing around these animals. And that was the only difference between the two groups. Mm-hmm. They found this by accident. What? Because when they when they were analysing the results, the top the, the the animals at the top, they were getting far more disease than the ones at the bottom. Wow! And literally, the only difference was the ones on the bottom were were happier. were having been happier. They were genuinely being interacted with, connected with. They were able to go outside, things like that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, and sadly, I mean, what ninety nine percent of well, this is an American statistic, I think, but ninety nine percent of animals that we eat for food are from factory farms. So they're like, they're not happy animals and they're never getting that time outside and they're not really seeing sunlight. Yeah. So. And I mean, back to our earlier point, even if they were free range chickens, the males were still killed. Exactly. They're still murdered. <laughs> they don't want to die. Yeah. 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 So anyways, I, I fortunately had this realization that there is no, there is no such thing as cruelty free animal products. And so we decided to go all in with the vegan products. And fortunately, it was so easy to make the banana bread easy or to make the banana bread vegan. It was the replacement of the eggs basically, and then switching to a dairy-free chocolate, which is super easy. So yeah, I think I was pregnant with Rowan at this time. So um, I hired an amazing local chef, Uh, to work with me as a consultant. And she did the experimenting. Her name is Karen McCarthy. And so she helped me figure out that recipe. So do you use like some sort of chia egg or flax egg or something to make that um, sort of substance? It's agar agar and psyllium husk. Okay, And it works like a charm and nobody knows. And I have my most like, you know, animal food loving customers and oldest customers. It's like, exclaim that you cannot tell the difference. And so a lot of people say it's even better. That's what I was going to ask, how it was perceived. It is. No one knew. The thing is, we didn't really announce it. I just wanted to transition over, not tell anybody. I actually sent a a mass email to my customers and I said, we're changing a few ingredients, see attached. (laughs) And I didn't even make it a big thing. I didn't want to, because nobody, 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 I want the eggs. No, no, nobody. Nobody dropped the line. Like I was kind of worried about some of my bigger, more mainstream customers and nobody cared. Yeah, I think that's a a nice way of doing it. Because if you came out and said, we're going vegan, it it might, again, certain certain people you're supplying 
who have a view similar to, you know, what we're talking about, our parents and this extreme thing, they might make assumptions. Exactly. Yeah. And we don't tell our customers they have to label it vegan. We actually tell them, I mean, well, I guess I've had this conversation with a few of them just that like, you don't, don't, don't label it vegan because unfortunately so many customers see that vegan label and they think, oh, well, that's not for me. It's vegan. It's going to taste like cardboard. Yeah. That's not even vegan products. That's Better for them to buy it, taste it, taste great, then look at the ingredients and make the connections. Yeah, exactly. So it was it was a great thing for the business and things. I mean, obviously my passion was like reignited. And so I started focus, focusing on it more. And um, I mean, things have only improved. Did you have business partners in this business that, that were not vegan or was it just you that could make these decisions? It's just me. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And my, well, Darren's extremely supportive, so I kind of consider him a business partner, but um, it's really just me in the day-to-day at the bakery. Recently, um, in April, I hired the most amazing general manager and he's like totally changed the game at the bakery He's more of an operations logistics person, and that is not me. Like, I've never been passionate about that kind of stuff. So I think for the past seven years, I've been, like, waiting for that person. Because so like, I'm, like, the people person and the yeah. community person and the recipe person. So he's totally taken our operation to a new level and allowed us to expand, you know, just, like, by changing scheduling and... um yeah, all that stuff. It's an important step when you start to like be able to delegate and let go of some tasks, identify what your strengths are. Oh, yeah. And then be able to get someone in like that who can help you grow to that next level. That um, was one of the hardest things for me is just being able to delegate. I mean, even handing off the baking to somebody else, I never felt like anybody could do it the way I did it, even though that's silly. Of course they could. But it was a control thing that it was really hard for me to let go of. And was there a lot of training involved in that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a trained baker. And so I feel like I have some like weird little tricks that I do with my baking. And I actually had some bakers that I hired who were trained and they would say, oh, no, we have to do it this way. Like, this is what I learned in school. And I would say, no, no, this is how we're going to do it. This is how I've always done it. And this is what works. And I really feel like the banana bread is something special. Like I've, I mean, obviously I'm incredibly biased, but I've never had better banana bread. And a lot of people say the same. And I really feel like it's because of some little tricks. (laughs) And we need to stop talking about this. But I, can't get it. I can make, I can make some. Where's your kitchen? <laughs> okay. So the, the company transitioned, um, to having no animal products. And in terms of like, what, what are you offering now? What are the, what are, what's the product range looking like? So now we have five items and really looking forward to launching more. But right now we've got the banana bread, the lemon loaf, we've got coconut peanut butter power balls wow. and some breakfast cookies. So some really big refined sugar-free breakfast cookies, which are kind of more in line with the way I eat on a daily basis. The banana bread and the lemon loaf are a little more indulgent, but the, the like the co- the coconut peanut butter power balls, uh, they're sold at a shop called Body Energy Club, which if you ever came to Vancouver, you would totally go there. It's like they've got all the like workout stuff and like so many health foods and like workout snacks, like post-workout snacks, pre-workout snacks. And just like all the gym goers love the balls yeah. and the cookies. And I'm imagining a lot of them are not vegan, right? Yeah. Like the people, the people can Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And we don't have vegan on our label. Yeah. Like we, you just, you can read the ingredients and find out that they're vegan, but it doesn't say vegan on there. So. Do you ever stop to think about, because I mean, a lot, all it takes for many people is just a little spark to sort of start digging. Do you ever stop to think about how many little sparks you're putting out there by, you know, through what you're doing online and through this business and, you know, have you had certain people sort of come to you and say, you know, thank you so much for 
opening my eyes to this? Um, I have. And I mean, it's it's my daily focus. That's why I, I'm actually, this is the first holiday that I really tried to stay off my phone a little bit because um, historically on vacation, like we travel based on the vegan friendliness of a city. And so I'm always sharing and wanting to create like city guides and recommendations um, but I've noticed it really does take time away from my family. But at the same time, like my biggest passion is raising awareness about the importance of eating plants and specifically what's happening to animals. So, um, so it's like act. work and pleasure and passion is all mixed together. So it's really hard to not work. What does Darren think about that? Darren is my biggest supporter and he is always the one who is um, like encouraging me to do it. And he's always saying, don't worry about Rowan. Like I'll take her to a playground. You do what you have to do. That's so um, cool. Yeah. He's amazing, but he's also a bit of a workaholic. So I, <laughs> I'm at the point where. What, what is he mainly working on? So Darren works in advertising. He is a managing partner of Rethink. They're an awesome creative agency in Vancouver. And Darren's really focused on like manifesting, working with awesome oh, partners, cool. like, um, Actually, one of their biggest customers is A&W, which is a huge um, restaurant. They have 900 locations oh, wow. in Canada, and they were the first fast food chain to launch the Beyond Meat Burger oh, wow. across okay. Canada. And so Darren okay. led the strategy of that. God, and he's handy to have around for you then. <laughs> he, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. No, I couldn't. I mean, a I, I, huge credit to Darren. Like, he's helped with the website. He's totally helped with strategy and like, yeah, everything. He's amazing. But, uh, but yeah, like I think that we work too much. So uh, Rowan's a great motivation to... Constant sort of reminder to, to I guess, be a bit more present where you can. Oh, totally. Yeah. I hate feeling like I'm on my phone and she's wanting to play with me. And I just, I feel like time goes by so fast, especially when you have a kid, it's crazy. Like, I feel like I just had her yesterday and um, now she's over two. And so I'm really trying to put the phone down. So part of me is like, I am capturing content at all the restaurants you've gone to, but like, I didn't even share last night that we went to vegan or Lebanese vegan street food yet, but I'm going to share it when I have yeah. some time. So you just, you know, take a few quick photos and then enjoy the meal. Exactly. And I'm going to, I'm going to save everything to story highlights just so that people who are traveling yeah. here can find the tips. Because, yeah, it really is a part of what I do on a daily basis, sharing vegan tips and vegan cooking yeah, And it makes it so much easier for people when they come here mm -hmm. to not get lost and they can they, they know where to go and mm -hmm. they just have such an enjoyable time. Exactly. Do you, do you ever use the Happy Cow app at all? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I think it's really great. We've used it. I feel like when I go to someplace like Sydney, there are enough, like, vegan friends in the vegan community who can give tips. But where were we? We were, oh, we were in... Uh, Porto in Portugal and we used Happy Cow and it was really great because it was just less of a yeah, yeah. Um, like less vegan options. forward place. Yeah. But I actually heard um, that in Portugal, there's a new law that every single restaurant has to have one vegan menu item. That's and don't cool. quote me, somebody, somebody on Instagram commented this, I think, when I was asking for vegan friendly, most vegan friendly destinations in the world. Um, somebody said, told me that about Portugal, which is amazing, which yeah. I feel like every day we're seeing headlines, like moving towards a vegan diet, you know, like just, you know, government things, city things. Uh, It'd be great. Cultural great to have things. that everywhere, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, I, you and I know it's, it's, it's not hard to find a place that can serve you vegan food, particularly if you're in a city like, you know, Vancouver or, Sydney or Melbourne or whatnot. But one of the initial thoughts, I think, by people who are, you know, battling with the idea of transitioning is 
from a social point of view, mm. what am I going to do when I eat out? But yeah. it's it's becoming easier and easier and easier and easier. And now it's trendy for restaurants and cafes. If they're not, if they don't have a vegan option, they're going to put it on there because yeah. there's so many people that are transitioning to yeah. this lifestyle. They're walking in and saying, hey, what can I eat? Yeah. You know, and then the business owner realizes it's su- supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're seeing so much more, so many more vegan options. And even for people who don't live in the big cities, I mean, I always like to say that if you have a grocery store that sells avocados, pasta, peanut butter, nuts, bananas, hummus, chickpeas, like you've got great vegan food right there. You're set. You can make your own nut cheese. You can make avocado toast. You've got, you've got potatoes, make some French fries. Nachos, whatever. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Those are staples, which I want to go into. I want to talk to you about stable foods. Oh. But just, just quickly. So did Darren, did he... Has he transitioned at all? Like with his oh yes, oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah he's like little activist at the really? too. Yeah, there like I mean, different than me, but he went vegan. Probably he was like a year behind me in his journey. But I I remember one night we were having sushi with his mom, and um, I guess she was asking what Darren would want to eat, and Darren refused the the fish. And I hadn't even heard about this because it wasn't like a conscious decision. It was just gradual. And he's like, yeah, no, I'm... And he's I'm, half Japanese. Yeah. So is that his mother's side or dad's? His dad's Japanese. His dad's Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so, so what, what, what what did his dad his dad's side think of... Didn't <laughs> of even his... really say anything. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't affect him. He still eats it, so he didn't care. Does he enjoy like vegan sushi rolls and things like that? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, we go for sushi still and there's so many options. And by the time you have, I mean, a lot of it, the wasabi, the ginger, I mean, the soy sauce, yeah. the tamari, yeah. like, that's the flavor. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly the fish is the base. And I think, well, I used to eat a lot of sushi and a lot of sashimi and more often than not, it's kind of fishy, like it's kind of questionable anyways. So I feel like it's just so much healthier to avoid that. Mm. There's a place in New York called Beyond Sushi. Okay. Have you heard of that? Mm, no, I don't know. I had the owner on on the podcast recently, but they're oh, yeah. they're they're expanding to LA. Yes. So if you're ever in New York or LA, you should check them out. We go to LA quite a bit. Vegan sushi. Oh. Yeah. There there needs to be more vegan sushi in the world because I think it can be very creative and very delicious. There's a place in LA. I think it's called Shojin. Yes, Shojin. Shojin. Yes. It's in that weird mall. Yes. Have you been? Yeah, I've been there. Really? Yeah. It's, it's like, like all downtown. dark. It's more downtown. Yeah. Yeah, I've been there. It's in the mall. Yeah. And it, yeah. it was like sauces and they're, they're like um, yeah. searing. They've got their torches and. Yeah, they're super creative. Tastes delicious. So LA, delicious. LA has so much. Yeah. So much yeah, it does. I always talk about sage. So have you been oh, safe? yes, I have in there. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. We're getting, we're back on food. <laughs> so 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 your your own personal, I guess, transition. When you were did you have any fears? Like you you were coming from, I guess, an, an ethical point of view. You watched earthlings, you're like, okay, I, I don't want to have these animal products in my diet. But we've been conditioned, I guess, a bit by society around, okay, you need certain foods for health, mm-hmm. an animal. What did you do in terms of information and being confident with taking them out of your diet? Um, I didn't really think about it. I think the animal issues were just so big to me and it felt so wrong to be paying somebody else to kill them for me. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't even sleep at night knowing that I was contributing to that. I think the movie Forks Over Knives had really kind of answered any questions that I had about the health side of things. And then there were so many other documentaries that I just continued to watch that just hammered all of that information home. It's kind of like, why isn't this being broadcast on every single news channel? 
Do you know yeah, what I mean? Why is it being hidden? Why is it? Why isn't it out there? Why doesn't everybody know? I kind of feel like we're living in the dark ages sometimes. Yeah, and then you see a. a I mean, there was recently an article here in the main newspaper and it was like a, a fear, scared tactic type article about veganism. Was it with the family and the child? I saw that one, which that's been running for two, two and a half years, the same I, article. I'm sure. And I mean, if you trace the dollars, it's, you can yeah. probably trace it back to meat and dairy, you know, like and, paying yeah. them to run it. or. And then they had, there was another one, an architect wrote an opinion piece on on it and it was just an architect an architect and it was i i invited her onto the podcast to see if we can talk about it wow but i haven't heard back yet i'd love to get her her on and just talk openly and and civilly about it i didn't get a reply but she well so what she was saying was that it's extreme it's restrictive you're not going to get your nutrients it's damaging to the environment plants (sighs) plants have feelings oh my like a whole lot of stuff that was very misguided, very misinformed, and real opinion based, right? Not, not not based on any facts or science. And yet it was like because it was in the main newspaper and what happens on social it's taken media. Seriously. People on social media that want that want a to headline believe that. To, to 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 help them you know further for well basically to help them either feel better for eating animal products or, you know, confirm that veganism's not healthy, they all share it. And then it's kind of like Chinese whispers and unfortunately I think I've kind of just come to terms that these articles are, they're going to keep popping up Yeah, as long as, you know, the media needs to drive clicks. It's almost a sign though that veganism is like there's so much momentum. The meat and dairy and egg industries, they're scared. So they're feeling like they have to put this stuff out there and they're having to <laughs> probably pay people off to say this mm. stuff because exactly. that doesn't make any sense. But the clever ones like Elmhurst, which is was a big dairy company out of somewhere out of New York. I think it was New York. It was on the east eastern part of America. Huge dairy company had been around for a hundred years. They have done what your company's done. So they have completely shut down all of their dairy production lines, and they make nine different plant based nut milk, like wow. plant based milks. That is so right? inspiring. Yeah. So they've anyone can Google that. Search Elmhurst E L M H U R S T if you want to look at it. I, this this was a huge company, 100 years. Wow. They've made the change. It's incredible. Um, You're hearing that inspiring. more and more often, like Gigi and that, some other, what was the other restaurant that um, that did that when they were going to? Um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I How really much longer went, are you here for? Till the 11th. You should also go to Bodhi. We went. You went to Bodhi? Yes. Okay, so God, you've been everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to start asking it's you our- for recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> it is our focus. I mean, we don't, we don't have big plans. So we yeah. schedule our day around restaurants and playgrounds or water parks. Okay. All so, the fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you didn't really have any real fears as you were transitioning over. Were, were there any sort of hurdles that you faced? What were, what were your, your friends at the time thinking? And has the food that you were sort of eating then to now, has it changed at all? To be honest, I can't think of any major hurdles. Um, even socially, I think that friends in general are are more just like interested and inspired by what we're eating. So if we have friends over for dinner, you know, we're going to make a plant based meal for them, and they're just like curious, like how are, how do you make it taste so good? Because unfortunately, I feel like there was this first wave of vegan food and vegan products that was kind of one and I think it gave some people a bad impression mm, of vegan food. Super but, processed, like the, the frozen burger patties that didn't And like bad, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. There just wasn't much flavor in there and texture was funny. And especially like 1.0 round one vegan cheeses weren't that good, but they've come so far. 
And so I really felt like friends were just interested in what we were making and they would ask for the recipes. So, I mean, I really don't feel like there were any hurdles. I also hear from people that they think that vegan cooking is harder. And I am the biggest advocate against that. I think it is so much easier. I mean, for one, when you go to the grocery store and you have vegetables and non-animal products, you don't have to race everything home to get them in the fridge. You know, like you can just leave them in your car. They're fine. They're going to, you know, they're not going to go bad. They're not going to go rancid. Number two, you don't need precise cooking times and temperatures. Like I wouldn't know how to cook a roast or a steak or a filet. Like I'd probably ruin it or overcook it or it's so much more fickle, right? I mean, vegetables, chuck them into the oven. Any temperature, mm. wait till they're golden. You know, exactly. they're Just ready. Just let them heat through. Like it's not like a piece of meat that has to be cooked a certain Exactly, yeah. exactly. And third, the bacteria. Like you don't have to worry about scrubbing your cutting board and, you know, cleaning your knife and then sanitizing your scrub brush. Like there's no fear about cooking in the kitchen with vegan food mm. is safer. Or the kid, you, you kid coming oh, yeah. in and licking a fork that's being exactly. used to cut up chicken or. We can't imagine having raw animal products, any animal products in the house with, with rowing around. Yeah. So were, have any of your, your friends, you know, you mentioned your dad before, he's, he's obviously been influenced by what you've done, but have any of your sort of closer, I guess, friends or Darren's friends or anyone else been influenced by the, the life that you're leading? Uh, my mom went vegan. Yeah, wow, she went vegan after watching some documentaries. Must have been as well. proud of that. So proud of that, and she's become like a little activist too. Like she's got her an Instagram account for her dog, and she will repost a Mercy for Animals picture. That's awesome. Or yeah, yeah, and she'll get in like you know conversations with her friends about it and try to tell them about some of the benefits. I think that my friends in general have definitely like become more inspired to go more vegan. Do you normally talk to them about the animal ethical side of things or or the health benefits or what's the general topics or does it just depend who they are? It totally depends who they are. I feel like if it's a guy, I'm always going to talk about the sports side of things and how lower inflammation, quicker recovery time, Tom Brady's plant-based and Novak Djokovic is plant-based, Kyrie Irving in the NBA, Mm. all the NBA players are going vegan. I think that's really inspiring for guys. And then with friends who have kids, I love to talk about like the environment and the future and the the recent reports from the United Nations Climate Council and, you know, the pretty scary predictions about the environment. Because I think when you're thinking about somebody else, specifically your kid, you're going to take it more seriously. Mm. Um, but I think that our whole friend group um, like has really opened up like we the people that we're seeing on a weekly basis, I'd say, are vegan. Like we have our little V gang. And, um, you know, you really, it's so easy to love and connect with people who share the same morals and values as you. So true. And, and I think that one of the misconceptions is that when you, when you are going to transition, you're missing out on something, but you're not, it's, it's, you're actually gaining, you, you stand to gain so much more because all these topics and, and, and just becoming more conscious, it enriches your life so much that you've gained so much more than the few animal products you've taken off your plate. Exactly, exactly. You know, so I tend to try and explain that to people. Like, let's let's reframe it. It's not like we've got to remove this and, and cut things back. It's like over here you can, you can gain so much. So much health. And, I mean, I love to talk about longevity too and yeah. how, I mean, the regions of the world who are known to live the longest eat a plant-forward diet and, I mean, a plant-based diet is known to not just 
prevent disease, but it can reverse it. Mm. I mean, it's so amazing reading books like the China study and how not to die and reading about the studies where turmeric has proven to, you know, reduce the size of cancer cells in a Petri dish studies. I mean, broccoli, broccoli, like forget the pills, just eat. These are the real superfoods. These are (laughs) the real superfoods. And it's so funny when people question the nutrients, where are you getting your nutrients? And I've heard that you can't get enough nutrients on a plant, plant-based diet. It's like, well, obviously the, whatever you're reading is biased and Mm. funded by meat and dairy, but I mean, vegetables, they're all superfoods. So true. And I think I read an article this morning about the Mediterranean diet. I quite often get asked about the Mediterranean diet and I usually respond by saying like, you know, health is a spectrum. If you look at the Mediterranean diet compared to like the standard American diet, yes, it's, it is better, right? And the Mediterranean diet has been shown in some cases to prevent certain diseases, but it has never been shown to reverse compared to a whole food plant-based diet, which has been. So we, there's, there's a real spectrum in terms of, you know, moving towards the most optimal, yeah. healthiest diet. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Rowan, what, I mean, you had Rowan, she came into your world what, two years ago now? Yeah, October 14th is her birthday. And did you were you always, you know, planning to raise her on a vegan diet? Did, oh, yes. you, did you need to go to any, you know, particular resources? Were you like, okay, wow, I'm doing this for the first time, bringing a kid into the world. What, what do I need to concentrate on from a food point of view? Or how did you go through that process? Not really. I feel like it's simpler than people think. I mean, obviously being a new time parent, you are like, you know, you're really focused on it. But I mean, the main nutrients that the babies are needing, they get it through their brother, their mother's breast milk. And so Rowan was breastfed for 19 months, but she started solids at around six months. And I think that so many baby foods are naturally vegan. So it was really, really easy. And then there are some supplements like vitamin D. But other than that, I mean, she lives on broccoli. <laughs> I mean, she she actually lives on broccoli and tofu. And I think those two foods alone, like with a little squeeze of citrus, she's getting like pretty much everything. Um, so um, we, we have a great vegan community as well um, with some other moms who have young children. So any kind of questions that I'd have mainly around like maybe B12, I would just ask my mom friends. Um, but it's, again, it's, it's, like so everything. does she take um, B12? She does now. She takes yeah. B12. Yeah, she got it through B12. my breast milk. Yeah, okay, the start, yep. yeah. So you were, you were supplementing? Uh, yeah, 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 I do take B12 just to be yeah. safe. I actually Same. didn't for the first little while. And I mean, if you're, you can get it through food. I mean, but yeah, I just take it as a, as an insurance. Yeah, same. So you take, you take B12. Do you take vitamin D as well? Mm, well, I take a multi, a multi. Like, just like anybody would, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. anybody on any kind of diet. Yeah, I, that's like, another misconception is that, oh, vegans have to take all these supplements. Yes. The supplement industry is a billion-dollar industry and yeah. it's not propped up by vegans. No, no, exactly. Um, okay, so your whole family takes B12, Darren. Yeah. Darren takes B12. Yes. Um, multivitamin. What What are the most common questions that you would get about, about Rowan and her diet and are there any sort of tips that you have for mothers out there in terms of in, whether they want to raise a child as vegan from birth or just encourage their existing children to eat more plants? Okay. The most common question that I get about Rowan is what milk she um, started drinking when she was done with my breast milk um, and what I would recommend because she actually never transitioned to a milk. She was never really tied to the bottle. 
So, so did she you, you just, breastfed? Yeah. And then when she was done, she just didn't need a bottle. She drank water for liquid and she got her nutrients from food. So it, it was as simple as that. Um, and what age was that when she sort of stopped breastfeeding? She stopped breastfeeding. Well, it's kind of a long, complicated story that I won't get into. She stopped, I think she's impatient. And so she learned at a very early age that she could get the milk quicker from a bottle um, than from the boob because there's the letdown and it takes a while for the milk. Well, just like 10 seconds. But um, she learned that she could get it just instantly from the bottle. That's not uncommon, right? Like that can happen with... A lot of babies. For sure. Yeah. yeah. So she actually, I kind of pumped like it was a full-time job um, for many months. She would, at three months of age, she stopped breastfeeding in the day. She would only breastfeed at night. And then at around eight months old, she stopped breastfeeding altogether and she just took it from the bottle. So I pumped like five times a day to get her the milk. And then she stopped altogether at 19 months. We kind of like whittled it down to this point where she was not even really needing it. And what, um, what about some of her first foods that you were introducing? Uh, oh, she did not like avocado to start. That's the one we started on. Uh, and now she eats like one to two avocados a day. She's such a little avocado monster. Um, but she really liked um, just like baby cereal, which is naturally vegan. I mean, it's all the baby cereals out there, I think, are vegan like and they're fortified and with like yeah, oats and um, buckwheat and chia. We love a brand called Love Child Organics at Home. And so that was definitely So you just mix that in with like a, a water or a plant-based milk? Yeah, boiling water. Boiling water, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's it. And then I would sometimes put on a like a fruit puree and some coconut yogurt and I mix in some hemp hearts. Yeah. And so you're getting plenty of calories in that. Like so that. many ca- Also, nut butter. Yeah. She like eats nut butter by the spoonful. But tofu is her favorite. Wow. She, that's great. Uh, we say, what do you want for dinner? And she asks for tofu and she will eat it plain. Just chop it up. Chop it up. <laughs> just chop okay. it up. You can give it to her in sticks. That's you can so give her cool. a whole block and she'll just eat the whole thing. So, I mean, yeah. tofu, I mean, even though it's processed, it's still such a superfood yeah. because of like, I mean, it comes. And from it's very soy. minimally processed. Like the whole soy ends up in there. It's a complete protein. It's. You know, it's got healthy fats. Yeah, yeah. We're so happy that she likes tofu. And she also, as I mentioned, really likes broccoli, which makes me feel like we've kind of ticked off so many of those boxes like calcium and Yeah. 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 So I'm 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 not worried. I feel like I mean if she's eating that stuff now, she's very likely to be enjoying like a whole range of vegetables when she's older. I really hope so. (laughs) I really hope so. I was really picky as a kid, so I really hope she doesn't follow in my footsteps, but I do think it's up to the parent to expose them to stuff. And she loves um, like pickled things, like garlicky pickled things, like, um, yeah, like some fermented food. She loves kombucha. She loves, she calls it kombucha. Very trendy. (laughs) Two-year-old. I think she thinks anything sparkling is kombucha. She'd fit in down at Bondi. Everyone's drinking kombucha down there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've heard from so many moms that their kids actually don't even like meat. Um, And they're inspired by some of my Instagram stories of Rowan eating where she's having the tofu and the broccoli and they're realizing that their kids can get all their protein and their iron from um, from non-meat sources. And I find it interesting. So much easier to eat. And I feel like I mean, who knows, but I feel like there's almost this instinct in a child, like meat is, I don't know if it tastes strong or or what, but like they gravitate away from it. I've heard that from so many moms, even when they're pregnant. I've heard a lot of pregnant ladies say that they just, they're totally, they have aversions to meat during pregnancy. Do you do many smoothies or? or Oh yeah. 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 We do a lot of smoothies. We like 
yeah, throughout the day, we have at least a couple a day. And I'm really big into the like one liter plus smoothies. I feel like smoothies are never big enough. Like you, I put so much spinach in the smoothie um, and almond milk and frozen banana and um, like hemp hearts or chia seeds, ground flax. What else? I, I like them kind of sweet. So I put in some dates and I mean, that's it. It's so simple. It's so good. There's no fancy supplements, no weird ingredients you have to go find. It's everything you can get at the grocery store. And if you buy in bulk, you can you can do it, you know, really affordable compared to always buying those smoothies out. We have definitely saved money going vegan. Yeah. Our grocery bills are way lower. I mean, of course, if you're getting some of the fancy stuff, like you're going to this fancy vegan cheese shop, mm. those items are more expensive, but they're just as expensive as a fancy dairy cheese. I mean, dairy cheese is expensive too. So some people will see, like, I, I love to try like new vegan cheeses and cool vegan products and, and people might get the impression that it's expensive or we're spending a lot of money, but that's really just special mm. occasion stuff. And, you know, it's, it's the same as doing on an animal based diet. You can walk into the grocery store that you could, you could go in and splurge at a really, really, really expensive level, or you could do it relatively cheap from an animal point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly cheaper though. When you when you go in with the mindset of buying in bulk, you know, avoiding some of those, I guess, really trendy, mm-hmm. expensive vegan foods. Mm-hmm. And if you're sticking to mainly whole foods, they tend to be way cheaper. So much cheaper. Yeah. It's unfortunate that, that, that there's a stereotype that vegan food is expensive because many of the world's third world countries are vegan because they can't afford meat. Mm. And I mean, they're living on rice and beans and... Yeah. And, you know, like... Back in the day, slaves were basically fed a, a vegan diet, and eating meat was seen to be like a superiority, superiority, like a class, like a high class kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So before we sort of move over to everything that you're doing online and the influencers, you know, based stuff that you're involved in, if if someone listening wants to transition to a vegan diet, how how can they start tomorrow? Like, what are, what are some of your top tips. So I could give you a list of cookbooks and a list of vegans to follow online products to buy. But I really think that the most important thing you can do is really discover the why. And you need to know why you're doing it because once you're motivated, it'll be so easy to go vegan. You will just be internally inspired to like find those items yourself and do the Google searches online because the information really is out there everywhere. So if you want to go vegan in five hours, you need to watch Cowspiracy, Earthlings, or Dominion, and what the health. And you will be so inspired. You will just see how damaging the animal agriculture industry is for the environment. You'll see how healthy a plant-based diet is for our bodies and human health and longevity, lifespan, et cetera. And you'll also just see what's happening to animals. I mean, when I watched Earthlings, I was just blown away by what's happening to them. I mean, I really thought that there there was like an ounce of compassion or, um, you know, I didn't think it was as bad as it is, but it, it's bad. There you go. Finding finding your reason why you may want to go vegan or, or at least transition and eat more plants in five hours. I'll put that in the show notes. That's some great tips. Okay, so online, Tell me. So you've got you've built this enormous community online. What's what's it all about? What what are you speaking about online? Um, and and also how can people connect with you online? So my mission in life has really become to raise awareness about the importance of eating plant based food um, and to avoid animal foods. So I would say that my daily activism 
Might not seem like activism. I think there are all different kinds of activism, but mine would be step-by-step cooking stories. I think that people would be so surprised to see how easy it is to cook vegan. I remember I started doing a cooking story, making homemade almond milk. And I, I was kind of thinking this might be boring. Everybody probably knows how to do this. So I started the process and then and then I stopped and I I like wasn't even sure if I was going to finish it. And then I started getting messages from people saying, finish the almond milk. Like what's happened with the almond milk? <laughs> I think my nuts were also soaking. So I had this like gap, but um, I kind of realized, wow, people are really interested. So I finished the almond milk and to this day, it's like in my top three shared or most commented or most popular stories. Um, I, I constantly have people tagging me just saying that they've tried my almond milk recipe, which is just a really basic recipe. But people, I mean, the main feedback was that they were so surprised at how easy it is to make your own delicious homemade almond milk. So I, I really like to show nightly what we're eating for dinner. People are really curious, like, what are you actually eating for every meal? So I just like to show that. So I, I like to show what I eat in a day. So they're getting like they're getting the real you. They're getting this the is, real. This is yeah. the life you're leading. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, it's definitely sometimes messy, and you know, my kitchen's great. not always clean. And I, but I feel like I'm. I just I really want to share and just show people. I'm passionate on showing how easy it is, mm. um, and just also giving people ideas on what to eat because I go through those phases too where I'm blanking out. I don't know what to make, and it's just nice to be able to scroll or check somebody's stories and see what they're making. So. Yeah. And I, I feel pretty inspired when it comes to what to make. Like I'm always looking at food stuff. So I kind of have this list of things that's that I want to make. And a lot of what I make doesn't involve a recipe either, which I think can be a deterrent for some people if they feel like they constantly have to menu plan and they have to actually have the recipe in front of them and they have to go to the store. I like to show how like I'll come home. I don't have a plan. I'll look in the fridge. I have two potatoes. I have a box of spinach. And I have some like leftover quinoa and how I'll throw that together and kind of make a meal that looks like dinner. Sometimes I Which is a great like, skill to learn though, right? You know, yeah, I think it's a, it's a life skill. And it's, it's very, that is very real. It's, it's relatable. You know, we don't always have the time to be cooking a long recipe every single yeah. night. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's got to be what it will. Okay. What's in the fridge? What's in the pantry? Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And as for how people can connect with me, so you can message me. I have my messages open. I actually realized recently I didn't, I had them blocked off. I think Rowan blocked them off. She always goes on my phone and messages. Maybe she wanted more time with you. (laughs) Maybe she knew exactly (laughs) what she was doing. So sorry to anybody who tried to message me. But um, yeah, and I do my best to answer messages. I don't get to all of them. But if anybody has like a burning question, my emails in my bio and I, I try my best to answer because I love connecting with people. And I also host a lot of um, activities and events in Vancouver. Unfortunately, a lot of them have been on hiatus as of late um, because I'm working on a really, really big project that's coming up, but everything's going to be kind of relaunched together. Big secret pro- project. It is a big secret okay. project, but it's the biggest thing I've ever done. Wow. And it's um so, so these other kind of events and activities that I'm talking about are a, a vegan run club called Heartbeats, which I put on pause and I never restarted it just because I felt too focused on this other stuff. And this is kind of where I need to get better at delegating. I need somebody to like do it for yeah, me. You and need a, You need a PA. Totally. But it, it's, um, it's been great. Like while it was on, it was great. And it's actually one of the ways I met my new, uh, one of my new 
best vegan friends. And so it's called Heart Beats. Heart Is that Beats. Be- Beats like the beetroot? Yeah. How'd you know? <laughs> oh, it was Darren's idea. Yeah, that's great. Is that How, how can people learn more about that? Uh, there's an Instagram account called Heart Beats Run Club. Um, and so, and of course, when we do relaunch, I'll be sharing it all over my account, my main account, which is where I just push most of the information through. Like, so that's that. something that people in Vancouver or visiting Vancouver can, yeah. can get involved in. Yeah, for sure. I also, with uh, my vegan partner, Zach Bowerman, we co-hosted monthly mindful movie nights where we showcased largely vegan documentaries, but we did about 18 of them. So almost two years of them until we both had kids and then we just got too crazy. And so we're really looking forward to relaunching them. But yeah, a lot of vegan topics, but a wider range of topics too, like fast fashion and self-esteem and yeah, some really great documentaries. Where do Um, you, where do you, where do like you sort of host that night? Like, is we it a- host them at a stretch yoga studio. So it's actually in the Chinatown of Vancouver. It's an awesome little space. They're amazing people. They donate the space for us and we become good friends with them. And um, they're really cozy nights and we always donate food. Like I bring food from to die for, and Zach is the co-owner of, well, Zach and Ryan, they're business partners. They own the juice truck, which is another business, another place you'll have to come when you're in Vancouver. They do amazing smoothies and cold pressed juices. They I'm were there. actually the first cold pressed juice company in Canada. Okay. Um, I'm going to be there. Okay. <laughs> Good. So, so yeah, those nights gained so much momentum and we had such big crowds out. We actually hosted the Vancouver premiere of What the Health and we sold out two full, full-size theaters in like an hour or something. That's incredible. Yeah. So we, we really want to, our, our big goal is to host the screening of Game Changers which uh, nobody knows no when it's knows, coming no. out. I had Susie Cameron, James Cameron's wife on this show. Wow. And she, well, she's co-produced that with him. Wow. But yeah, she wouldn't, what even, did you she, learn? She wouldn't even let me know when it's out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about the new footage they have. Yeah, it's going to be, I think, I mean, literally that movie will be a game changer from going back to, you know, our conversation earlier, I guess, about, you know, how, how can you approach this topic of plant-based or veganism to different people, I think particularly males are going to watch Game Changers. And oh, yeah. there's going to be a whole lot of guys out there that are seeing this for the first time and that little spark, you know, and they, they're they just going to start to think, wow, like totally. I didn't know that someone could do that and, and perform like that. You should be in it. Are you in it? I'm not in it. You should have been in it. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll do a sequel. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you should be in it. Wow. Okay. So we're, we're, we're sort of talking about the vegan scene, I guess, in Vancouver now, right? Yeah. Do you have any sort of favorite places in, in Vancouver other than the juice shop that you mentioned to, to go and eat at? There are so many. Vancouver's plant-based scene is booming. Like I really think we've become a destination where you could travel to like from Australia and you could spend like a week or two just going through all the spots. Like it's amazing. Um, some of my favorite spots include chickpea. Mediterranean food, they do like falafel and oh, mm, they have so much good stuff. Lots of hummus. Turf. Turf is, you love it. It's like a gym slash restaurant slash shop. Oh, wow. And they have some of the most colorful, healthy, hearty food. Like if there was one place that I could eat at every night, if I had to eat out for an entire month, it would be turf. It's amazing. And they have house walnut milk for your lattes and a really good coffee. Oh, God. I think I'm going to have to come for you have to come. For, for at least a week, maybe two by the sounds of it. Yeah, yeah. Turf, I love Heirloom. There's a restaurant called Heirloom that's really popular. They are vegetarian, vegan. They have a big vegan menu. The Acorn is amazing. I think it's like Canada's premier 
finer dining okay. restaurant for vegetarian and vegan food. Beautiful room. And how are all these restaurants doing? Like they're, Oh, they're, they're thriving. Well? They're yeah. thriving. Another one I want to mention is Kokomo and um, they actually have Cocoa Whip. They're the only location in Canada that has Cocoa Whip, which I love. And uh, I would say all these places are blowing up. I actually wish more non-vegan restaurants would kind of notice the success that they're having and how they're just lined up and full and thriving and successful and realize that there's so much opportunity in that space. Like just Just launch a vegan menu. Yeah. Yeah, Make the transition and we will embrace you. Like the vegan community is so supportive. We're so excited when a new vegan restaurant opens. I mean, you will feel the love. Yeah. You'd almost, you know, be silly in some of these major cities not to be right now tapping into that because it's, it's dollars that you're leaving on the table. If you want to, if you want, exactly. to, if you want to just remove the ethics and the health out of it from yeah. a business point of yeah. view, yeah. dollars left on the table if you're not catering for this market who, as you say, are just so loyal and they're so willing to share on social media yeah. and they want to speak about their food experiences because traditionally there hasn't been that many places. So people are excited. Yeah, um, exactly. So no, it's true. Yeah. So if you're listening or, and you own a restaurant or your friend's do and there's not many vegan options and get some on there and you, you know I yeah. think I think your balance sheet's going to look better. All right, so we've covered enormous territory today and you you're really leading a very inspiring life I think for for so many of the listeners and all definitely you know all of your community. It's tremendous to see what you're doing. Is there anything that we haven't covered perhaps, you know, anything for 2019 in store or anything that you'd like to to add? Oh my gosh. Well, I just want to say that, you know, all of us are influencers, whether you have 50 followers or, you know, 50,000 followers. I think that what you share and what you put out there has an impact. Um, So I think it's really important to, you know, share as much plant-based food as possible. And, you know, if, if possible, like don't, there's no need to share the animal stuff because I think the more that we see it, the more normal it becomes and the more it feels okay to be eating it and to be supporting these industries. When I think so many people would agree that, um, you know, the methods and the practices don't align with their values and morals. So yeah, just remember that when you're sharing, just because you might not have thousands of followers doesn't mean you're not influencing your friends and your neighbors and your family. Beautifully said. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I'm, I'm so thankful that you made time during your holiday here in Sydney. And I'm going to let you get out there and enjoy the last few hours of this sun, I think, before a thunderstorm rolls in. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. Awesome. Thank you very much. Well, there you go, friends. What did I tell you? Erin is just so, so cool. And I've got to say, hanging out with her and and Darren while they were here in Sydney was just absolutely great. They're both so caring, conscious. We had had amazing conversations and not only amazing conversations, we had amazing food. So shout out to Conscious Feast and also Mark and Vinny's for their hospitality and the amazing food that we shared together if you're ever in Sydney it's worth checking both of them out Conscious Feast and Mark and Vinny's friends thank you so much for listening and, and getting this far I really hope that you took something out of today's episode if you did please let Aaron and I know on social media we'd love to hear from you and I will see you next week cheers <laughs>